you're listening to a special edition of Not So Live from Asteroid G. I'm your host, Mike Finkelstein. Joining me in the booth today, well, booth, but it's really two desks remotely, like miles and miles apart via the glory of the internet. I am joined in the booth by SonnyRath11. That's your name on Twitch, if I'm mistaken. Real name, Zach? Yes, sir, it is. Hello there, everybody. Hey. So I know you from the Final Fantasy Randomizer community, a group I joined a couple of months ago, and I really wanted to get some of these Final Fantasy Randomizer people in the booth with me just so we can talk about the game and various other geekery out there, because it seems like randomizers are becoming very big as of late, and speedrunning has been huge for years and years, ever since, you know, I, I picked up on it, like, five, six years ago with the various AGDQ marathons and everything else going on, um, and it's just, there's a whole growing movement towards it at this point that's really kind of redefined, I'd say, video gaming, especially online, just in general. It's no longer just enjoying games, but really seeing what you can do to them in the process, so... What is your experience with video gaming inside and outside of Final Fantasy Randomizer? And how long have you been in these kinds of communities? So I came into the Final Fantasy Randomizer community about a year ago. And that was during the uh, October League, the Fall League. That was the league that... that... was the 18 League. Yeah, that, that was a league that they talked about a lot, but didn't really get any of the YouTube videos up. So those of us who paid attention via YouTube couldn't really keep up with it, unfortunately. Yeah, there there was a lot of stuff that happened. Yeah. And I, I won't rehash old history there, but that actually was my exposure to Final Fantasy Randomizer. And I've continued running it fairly consistently since then. I took part in the Chaos Rush tournament that happened ended up being in the top six, got knocked out there. Yeah. Unfortunate, and t- but what you going to do about that? Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, the um the the main randomizer tournaments are usually playing the game in long form and then, like, key items and some certain NPCs and boss stats and so forth are randomized, but it still looks like a fairly linear, traditional version of the game. The Chaos Rush, though, that throws all of that out, out, out the window at that point. You get your airship and all the orbs immediately, and your job is to try and figure out how to power your character up to get them to chaos on a shortened uh, Temple of Fiends as fast as possible. That's It's a wild ride. Yeah, it was a very, very crazy ride throughout mm-hmm. the weeks and couple months, few months that we did the Chaos Rush tournament, and it, it was a blast. Yeah. But now I'm back to actually practicing full seeds for a couple of upcoming tournaments, one of which being a co-op tournament and then the other being on rack summer vacation yeah that's another uh, like team league kind of thing isn't it yeah it is mm-hmm. a team league type thing and it's it's gonna be a blast i'm definitely looking forward to it yeah i'm uh, i'm in, i've been enjoying the spring okay. tournament we've been having going on right now and i'm actually going to be a participant in the co-op tournament that's starting actually later this week now that i think about it, although this podcast is going to happen after this whole conversation <laughs> but yeah no it's there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in the whole community at this point yeah there there is a ton of good stuff going on now as for speedrunning outside of final fantasy randomizer Oh, let's go back to what brought me into speedrunning. So about 10 years ago, I decided to mess around with Super Mario World, uh, the English version specifically, just to see what I could do in that. And about 10 years ago, I ended up having around a low 13-minute time for just running 11 exit, not knowing any of the strats or anything like that. 
11 just just to inform my people 11 exit is basically skipping just about everything except the most direct exits to get you to the was it the star world in the second area um god what's the second area called donut plains uh, in donut plains yes yeah. so you get you get you get through the secret ghost house to the secret exit that takes you to the star road and then you follow the star road around as quickly as possible through its secret exits to get over to bowser's back door and then just zoom right in right front door front door uh, okay yes Okay, so and it, it that was actually a lot of fun to do way back in the day. I had friends that were were in class that I would do speed runs in that would just watch me. Yeah, because thirteen minutes—that's that's what you said, right? That's a crazy time. Yeah, and at that point in time, I was sixteen, so just being able to pull that off at sixteen with with the primitive times of speed running, it was it was definitely a feat to behold. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I don't even think if I was doing it now, I could do a thirteen minutes. Yeah, I, I have an 11.16 in it right now, so sub-13 is pretty common for me. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's that's impressive. So it, I know you said that you, you did that there, but what's your primary game that you're playing at this point? So my primary speedrun is Kirby Superstar 100%, and every now and then I pick up any percent. And for those that actually don't know the definitions to the Kirby Superstar 100% category, you have to beat every single game mode. You have to get the two ability rooms in the Dynablade game mode, all 60 treasures in Great Cave Offensive, all 19 deluxe copy abilities in Milky Way Wishes, beat Gourmet Race, Spring Breeze, Revenge of Meta Knight, though you also you already have to beat Revenge of Meta Knight, Great Cave Offensive, and Dynablade in order to unlock Milky Way Wishes. Then after you beat Milky Way Wishes, you have to beat the arena. So it's it's a fairly long speed run sounds complex yeah it's it's very complex especially with the strategies that come into play throughout that run Mm -hmm. it's it's a very very technical run and very demanding on you especially when you have to use the plasma ability in order to deal damage in the arena because that ability is very very d-pad heavy in the respect of each d-pad input increments your damage by one step that's yeah that's more than i think i could ever keep up with I mean, I like Kirby Superstars, a game I play. That's that's on the Super Nintendo, and it's I like for most people, you look and go, "Oh, it's a mini game collection," and then you see a speedrunner come at, and you're like, "Oh my god, there's all kinds of levels of depth here that I wouldn't have even expected." One of the levels of depth that gets a lot of people when they start seeing the game is you have to do what is known as a mixer in Dynablade, which is inhaling two enemies with an ability at the same time, and then activating or swallowing them, which activates a mixer wheel, and you want that wheel to land on jet. But the catch on that is that you have a four-frame window in order to get the jet ability. Four frames, and Kirby Superstar being on Super Nintendo, it runs at, what, 60 frames a second? Yeah, 59.96 to be exact. Yeah, so here fractions of a second to get that to be just right. Yes, it's, it's mm. fairly difficult for newcomers but after you practice it enough and you've gotten used to the game, it's relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Are there other games that you have played that you've like committed to for any length of time? So the very first game I started speedrunning when I started streaming back in 2013 was Super Monkey Ball 2. Love the monkey very, balls. Very, very, very different overall. And oh, yeah. It, it is a very fun game. Very I technical. Those are very technical games. Like it's it's not just like a weird little labyrinth style game where you roll a ball along a path. There's 
all kinds of tricks and jumps and just having to know your timing on it. It's a supremely technical series of games. And the thing that catches the people that catches people off guard the most is you're not controlling the character, but you're controlling the stage. Yeah. And I don't think I ever picked up on that when I actually played them. And then I finally, like, I watched the speedrunners go, and I'm like, oh, that's what I was missing. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes the game a lot different when you actually realize you're controlling the stage instead of the character itself. Mm-hmm. I actually started off running the story mode category without any glitches because later on in 2013, if not the beginning of 2014, there was a glitch found that allowed you to skip levels in the story mode itself. Mm. But that was only used whenever you were, you completed a level, went back to the level select menu, and then you exited game and went back to the level select menu again from the exit game screen. Basically doing something the programmers never expected you to do. Correct. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's something interesting about speed running that, you know, people who don't really pay attention to it might not realize is there's a bunch of categories for a lot of different games. Like we're talking any percent and glitchless versus glitched any percent or hundred percent story mode, all those things. Most of these modes that we're talking about here are ones that are generally agreed upon by the community. Speed running is something that some game companies, you know, will get behind and sometimes they'll help set up categories and so forth. But most of the time it's just the fans of the game that are defining the categories and being like, okay, this is a thing. These are the rules for it. These aren't the rules for it. Cause there's some of them that are like the, any the hundred percent is just called like all of the stuff. Cause sometimes there are things that are just too difficult to do in a speed run that people don't want to do and don't affect anything that could technically be a hundred percent, but isn't. So what else is it that you're uh, playing? Is there any other games that you keep up with? Or has a Final Fantasy Randomizer subsumed your life when you're not playing Kirby Superstar? So it's between Final Fantasy Randomizer, Final Fantasy IV Free Enterprise, uh, Final yeah. Fantasy I PSP, and I've recently learned Final Fantasy I on the Game Boy Advance as well. Those are very different runs. Now, Final Fantasy Free Enterprise, um, I have actually talked about on my website before. That's that's a fun open-world game that basically reconfigures the entirety of Final Fantasy IV into more or less just go anywhere, do anything, and just try and get to the end boss. Runs on that can go from anywhere of like a half an hour, depending upon like a lot of the treasures being free and the flags and everything else to being almost two hours if you have to forge the end game crystal and find the right path. That's a very diverse game for being such a simple mode to it. Yes, and there actually is a variant that can last upwards of eight hours. And we refer to those as Cataseeds, named after an old Final Fantasy IV runner by the name of Catastrophic Four. I think I saw that there's in the, was it the Final Fantasy? Um... The World Series of Free Thank Enterprise, you. which ended a couple months ago. Yes. That was the Cattle Light mode yeah. was actually showing off there. And that's that's about two two to three hours on average. I've never seen a, uh, the full Cataseeds because they don't usually post those on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, the full Cataseeds take way too long. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. But... I mean, it just shows the variety of things you can do with the seed. We, um, Final Fantasy Randomizer, the way it is, most of the time when we're playing these games and we're not doing Chaos Rush, which is a really short run, our games are usually somewhere between, like, hour 15 to hour 45, depending upon the flags that the community is running. Although we've had runs that, because of a terrible t Temple of Fiends, will go five hours. But some, like, uh, Free Enterprise, which can have such a short game mode to it, eight-hour seeds are crazy. 
Indeed. They're <laughs> they're quite difficult too. Yeah. And now I know that we uh we have a couple people that are working on a randomizer for the Game Boy one, but the two the two portable systems right now really are generally run by I would say vanilla at this point to use the randomizer term. They're, the PSP and the Game Boy ones are linear, straight shots through the game. And the major difference between the two is that the PSP is very broken. Yeah, the PSP version has a glitch called the equipment glitch, which allows you to swap item IDs. So let's say you have a leather shield that drops from the pirates in Provoca. You can equipment glitch that, which swaps the item ID of the leather shield to the weapon ID or the same numbered weapon ID which is a mage staff. And so then so you you have a free fire staff. Yeah, you're casting fires. I know that this, they can take a very low level item and quickly change it into the strongest sword in the game and then just ransack the entire game with that. Yep, that yeah. changes bronze gloves into the barbarian sword. Yep. And that it's 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 fun to watch, although at the same time I'm sitting there going you know, some of the zest of Final Fantasy is lost in the process when you get all the really good stuff and then you don't have to stress as much. You still have to stress quite a bit just due to uh, ambushes. Mm -hmm. Because I actually did practice run not too long ago for an upcoming tournament called Total Chaos. So three? Yeah, Total Chaos four. Four, okay. And I ended up losing a run because I got ambushed by seven ghouls or... Yeah, seven ghouls and ghasts. Oof. The undead in the Final Fantasy games hit like trucks sometimes. Yeah, and the fact that some of them have stun touch mm -hmm. is what the real run killer is. Which is something that if you play Final Fantasy Randomizer enough, you kind of forget about is how many of the undead actually had stun touch. Because we don't, we don't tend to deal with that anymore because the randomizer switches around who has stun touch and how and everything else The in some ways, despite the fact that we can scale the game up to be much more difficult, it does feel like the rando makes Final Fantasy much more forgiving on the NES. Very much so. It, otherwise, the NES speedrun is fairly brutal, especially if you get off of step route. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Watching this, a step routed version of that game is impressive, where they know when each encounter is going to be coming so they can do their saving and everything else. And yeah, when you see it go off off the rails, that game gets really horribly bad. And then you have some people that will actually manipulate Warmech to show up. <laughs> the, the, the first of the secret, like, evil bosses in the entirety of the Final Fantasy series. He, he initiated that trend that has basically run through the entire series at this point. Yes, because people will pray for Warmech in the GBA and PSP versions. Oh, uh, uh, we see that enough when we are, are running the the NES rando on speed gaming and randomania. It's just the putting out their prayers for Warmech to show up on the one bridge he can appear at. It's it's hysterical. Yes, and if you do run into Warmech and it's an unrunnable Warmech, mm -hmm. you better pray that you can live. <laughs> but in the vanilla versions, you can run away from Warmech. Yeah. It is fun to see him show up, ambush you with Nuke, and also be unrunnable, so you're stuck in it. And you're just like, well, my, my day just went from, <laughs> oh, this is great, to, nope, I'm out, I'm out, done. <laughs> so when you're not speedrunning, what other games do you play? Is there anything that tickles your fancy outside of having to try to be it as fast as possible? So I've actually got a few games I play whenever I'm not speedrunning. I play World of Warcraft. I actually raid in that still uh i've been playing that since well off and on since beta wow, wow. so I, i've played 
WoW for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I also play RuneScape, which I've been playing since 2005. Um, and I also play a few Flash games on a website called Congregate. Oh, yeah, I remember I play, that. I play Elements. I also play the Gemcraft series on there. Hmm. So you, you do a lot of, like, online gaming and MMOs and so forth. Yeah, I do. Hmm. So, which, I mean, MMOs are kind of as far from speedrunning as you can get in a certain respect. You can run through them, but at a certain point, it's just, you know, hang out and grind and do raids and that kind of stuff. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So what, what how, since, since we're on the topic of WoW, what is your opinion of the WoW Classic that they're putting out? Who, my opinion of WoW Classic? Well, at first, I thought, what, what are you doing, Blizzard? Why, why are you releasing Classic? And then I go back and look at it, and I'm like, okay, a bunch of people have requested to go back to the old days where you really, really had to grind to get the stuff that you wanted, mm -hmm. such as, like, your epic mount training, which was 400 gold. That was your only way you could fly. Yeah. But even then, getting 400 gold was extremely tough to do until Burning Crusade came out way back in, I want to say, 2007, 2008. Yeah. And this, ver um, and this version of it doesn't have any of that in there. No, this version has extremely easy gold farming. Like, I can make 50,000 gold like that. Yeah. And 50,000 back in the day was a fortune. Yeah. So, with Classic coming back and being able to just go ahead and grind things out, I'm uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. I very well may play it very casually and not focus so much on grinding things out, but I am looking forward to having the old skill trees back, unlike what we've got in the current version of WoW, as well as being able to really, really customize your characters. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to think about how these these online persistent games change and evolve over time. Because I was looking at stuff about how Diablo Eternal is coming out and thinking about where Diablo 3 is at right now, which is a game that I've played off and on since basically it came onto the consoles, I think, like version during like season six or something is when they finally brought it around. And then we didn't even get seasons for another four or five years after that. But season five was when it came around hey. because I was, I've been playing it on PC since launch. There you go. <laughs> you know more about this than I do, but it's just, it's even when the console version came out, it was a heavily modified version of what the PC one was. And that game has evolved a lot since it hit consoles. Cause it's, it's been streamlined and it's been changed and the adventure mode was introduced and, it's all fun, and yet at the same time, I look back at the classic version that I played, the Season 5 version, and there's a part of that that's kind of missing from the new game that I liked. It's, it might have been a bit grindy, but it was also just interesting to go in there at the various different skill levels and play with people and just work through them, and it's it's a little bit of magic that was lost on the new version of Diablo 3 that's, you know, running right now. Yeah, and let me go even farther back with that and go back to before Reaper of Souls came out for mm -hmm. Diablo 3, where you actually had the four difficulties of Normal, Nightmare, Hell, and Inferno. Yeah. I remember soloing Inferno, which was supposed to be impossible to do, mm -hmm. but I was running a Witch Doctor, which was probably the most overpowered class at that point in time, mm -hmm. and... Everybody that I knew that would play with me was like, how are you soloing Inferno? And the only response I could give was, one, I have great gear. Two, I know what I'm doing against every single boss. And three, other than that, I don't know. 
Well, the Witch Doctor is an interesting class, because depending upon the build you do, you basically have this entire army of guys at your disposal. Yes, so. and I was running the old Pet Doctor build at mm -hmm. that point in time, and it, it was ridiculously powerful. So it, it's basically like not running solo at all, because you have, what, like five, six, eight dudes running around you at all times? Five, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because they have a the the current version of the game has like the ability to get like a bunch of little like summoned pygmy things around you, so you can have like twenty dudes just hanging out with your guy as you're running around. It's it's crazy, right. well, but it's fun. Vanilla also had that, but it didn't have the set that allowed them to survive forever. Hmm. So, with the set that allows them to survive forever, which is the Zunimasa set, you. There's actually a build out there for this current season that utilizes that build, causes them to fire poison darts, and just has a massive amount of damage output that kills anything and everything in your path. Yeah, the, the damage output on, on the set builds is crazy. I play the the Archon one, the whose name I can't remember at this point, for my wizard, but it's like... It's the whole point is just to get into Archon mode and then you just explode with fire over and over again as you run around for 60 seconds. And the amount of damage and carnage you unleash, like the second before you get into it, you're squishy. And then the second you get to your Archon mode and just maintain it, it's like you just level everything in your path and nothing can stand up against you anymore. So it's yeah, and that that sounds like the Firebird set, if I had to guess. Uh, Firebird is its own set, but there's the I can't remember the name of it because I'm terrible with names, but no, it's it's Probably literally fear. Uh-huh. Veer, yeah. The Veer set. V-Y-R, yeah. The Veer set's the one. You you have the, the staff and the orb that allow you to constantly burst with energy, and then the set itself gives you benefits on Archon mode, and it's just, it's insane. And there's a lot of those yeah. sets in there. My wife plays the Demon Hunter one that gives her a whole pack of animals that runs around her and is all powered by turrets, and... That it, would be the Marauders set. Yep. Yeah, and it's, it's fun. But there, I will agree with you, there's a certain something that's in there that was missing from the original version of Diablo 3 before the sets became the focus. Yeah, and let, let's go even farther back with Diablo 2. When D3 came out, there was a lot, there were a lot of elements from Diablo 2 that were missing in Diablo 3 mm -hmm. because the game just felt a lot more simple compared to Diablo 2 because with Diablo 2... You actually had your skill points that you could allocate as well as your actual stat points. But with Diablo 3, whenever you leveled, your stat points were automatically allocated and you unlocked the skills as well as their runes. The nice thing about the runes was that it added the extra effects to your uh, abilities or spells. Mm -hmm. But you could do the same thing in Diablo 2, say if you were running a paladin using Holy Shock and Zeal or Holy Fire and Zeal, so on and so forth. Or even Barbarian with Frenzy and Whirlwind mm -hmm. back in Diablo 2. Yeah, it's it's a certain level of customization that people were expecting that was missing from Diablo 3. And they, they put it in over time, and there's the Paragon levels that they put in where you can assign your points around, kind of. Although, it's not really all there's not really all that much depth, but... I mean, when I I hadn't played the first two games when I went into Diablo three, and I you know at season five I'm like, oh, this is fun, this is interesting. But hearing about it and watching speedrunners do it, there is a certain amount of depth to Diablo three that's just that that or to the previous games that's missing in Diablo three. Yeah, I mean, I can go all the way back to Diablo one because I've been I've been playing the Diablo series since 1999. Mm -hmm. So if I went all the way back to Diablo one and then went to Diablo two and then Diablo three the changes that have gone 
throughout this or the changes that have happened throughout the series have been very noticeable. Mm -hmm. But the changes from Diablo 1 to Diablo 2 were very, very good changes because if you died and you had forgotten to save, you were reverted to whatever level you previously saved at. That's a that's a tough death penalty there. Yeah, Diablo 1 was very unforgiving in mm -hmm. that respect. But then Diablo 2, that was when corpse runs came around. You didn't lose your levels, but in some cases you would lose EXP and whatever gold you had on you would also come out of your stash. Mm. If you had 101,000 gold and you died, then it would go and be taken from your stash. But your stash's cap was 2.5 million gold. Yeah, I know um, Diablo 3 right now, one of my characters is sitting on like 2.9 billion gold because that's just the game doesn't care at this point and gold is meaningless. Yes, <laughs> I, I have 22 billion gold yeah. outside of the yeah. season. So, and then inside of the season, I have just under 3 billion. So yeah, I'm just like, what, what are these gold problems people speak of? I know when I'm first starting a new season, the gold the gold grind kind of sucks when I want to start building all my gems and everything, but I also don't worry too much about like how good my character gets in the season, because at a certain point the season ends and it all transfers over, and then it's back to my beefy characters that just don't care. Yeah, I mean, if, if I were to look at my character outside of the season, I believe I have 1,200 Paragon points. Yeah. But the catch on that is after you hit Paragon 800 every single one of your Paragon points you have to allocate to your core being your primary stat, vitality, movement speed, or your primary resource increase. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting, and I, I, don't, I don't hate it. I like some of the buffs that are there in the Paragon points. Um, I don't know. It's, I'm torn on Diablo 3 just because I know some of the stuff that was lost, but also like some of the improvements that were made to the basic system and... I mean, I really appreciate being able to play it on consoles, which is something the Diablo series hasn't really done before Diablo 3. So it's it's nice in that regard. I will have to uh, actually correct you on that one momentarily. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Because they released Diablo 1 for PlayStation way back in the day. I know. I think I've seen it. It's just you don't hear a lot of people talk about it. No, but the Diablo 1 make on PlayStation wasn't that bad. It okay. felt like... Diablo 1 on PC. Yeah. But the difficulty on console was actually increased as compared to PC. Is it because, did you think they did that because the direct control was easier to work with? I do think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know playing Diablo 3 and then talking to people who play it on PC, like the fact that I can just like spin around with my whirling lasers of death and quickly target and everything the game feels like a cakewalk at times whereas if you have to click and press and hold and watch your character do things without the direct control because of mouse and keyboard that that would seem like it would make the game harder for me since i've been used to playing diablo on computer for so long mm -hmm. point click focus on my main keys which i always have everything bound to one two three four and five yeah it's it's extremely easy for me to do i'm just i'm so used to it that Everything is super easy. Like in the case of this season, I've got my witch doctor who can easily handle greater rift 95. Nice. And that's actually my farm level right now because I'm trying to push for greater rift 110 as my progression this season, as well as get 1,300 paragon levels. 
Yeah, you're you're way deeper into this that game than I am because I I've played it off and on since it came to consoles, and I think my highest level character is like Paragon Seven something. So, is are there things that you are interested in outside of video games? Because we've talked about video games a lot, and before we wrap this up, I'm just I you know my website covers books and movies and everything else. So, are there things you like to do outside of playing video games? I I actually have a few things I like to do outside of playing video games, though it does deal with gaming in general. <laughs> I I love tabletop D and D. I love to bowl, and as well as play pool and ping pong, which is the odd man out in this case. <laughs> Well, we'll get to ping pong in a second, but let's let's go back to tabletop gaming. How long have you been doing that for? My very first D&D campaign was back in 2013 with a few of my friends that went to a local university. Hmm. And we did a week-long campaign where the last session of the campaign, we were up all night and finished our last session at, I want to say... 7 a.m. And then I went home, slept for two hours, and went to work. Nice. That sounds like a good session. Was that third or fourth edition at that point? Pathfinder. Oh. So the offshoot of fourth ed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, third and fourth, depending upon when you picked it up. Pathfinder's an interesting beast that's kind of grown to be, in some ways, more popular than D&D. Is that what you still play, or do you play other stuff at this point? I play 5th Ed, I play Pathfinder, I play 3-5 as well. 3-5 mm. I didn't hate. 3-5 was okay. I mean, it was a decent improvement over the second edition. Um, I mean, at a certain point, I just I wrote my own game. And that's what I tend to sell at conventions at this point. So, But I still keep a dabble in there once in a while. Pathfinder actually is one of the few things that I haven't checked out. And at some point, I need to get my sister to like play it with me so I can see what it's like. But... Most of the time, yeah, I definitely recommend. I definitely recommend giving Pathfinder a go. And mm-hmm. the one thing I hated with Second Ed after I learned about it was the old Thacko table, two hit armor class zero. It's what I learned on, so I I I remember it. I think even now, if I had to, I could calculate Thacko. And then, like my wife and I, jokingly have Thacko Thursdays where we have tacos and talk gaming. <laughs> it's always fun. That's that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah. So you also bowl, which I'm terrible at. I assume you're better than I am, because if I can break 100, I'm lucky. Uh, My last game after I got completely warmed up, which was actually just before my birthday, I ended up getting a 225. I have never even seen a 200 on my scorecard. (laughs) That was the second time I've ever seen a 200 on my scorecard. Usually my average is 180. That's... Those are still fantastic scores. My God. Yeah, it's, it's taken a lot of time to get to that point Mm. though i also had to learn how to control my spin in and of itself because i i'm left-handed yeah so whenever i hook i hook to the right so i'll have to stand at the far right of the lane Mm -hmm. pull off towards the left gutter and then watch as my bowling ball flirts with the gutter and then it hooks back to the right yeah I've, i've seen shots like that and oh (laughs) <laughs> that just seems like it's like pulse pounding for a second there. Don't go in. Don't go in. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yep, it, it really is. Especially when you know you're on a, you're on pace for a really good score. Yeah. So are you also a pool shark from the sound of it then? Uh, not so much a pool shark, but I am, I do think I'm quite good at it. There's somebody that I work with that's been playing pool league for over 20 years. And he and I can keep up with each other relatively easily. 
Are you playing a standard like stripes and solid eight ball or are you going more for snooker or something else? Eight ball, nine ball, ten ball. I haven't tried snooker yet, though. Snooker is fun to watch. I, 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 I've taken trips over to Europe and watched them play snooker. And, oh, that's that's a lot of fun to watch. And it's also way more complicated than I think I could ever get into. The The control they have over the ball on the table is like what you see from the like the Canadians that play um, curling. Just being able to put the ball wherever they want and be able to control the whole table. It's crazy. Yeah, curling, curling in and of itself is just an insane sport. But... <laughs> The thing I've learned over watching snooker on YouTube for the most part has been the way that they control everything is they make sure to apply a specific amount of English to the cue ball, Mm -hmm. which for those that don't play pool is spin on the cue ball itself. Yeah. So they can control where the cue ball goes after it collides with another ball. It's, and that in and of itself is a huge advantage. Oh, that's amazing to watch. It's it's incredible. <laughs> Pool and curling, the the two sports you'll see where people can play it like really well with like a beer gut. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so ping pong. Let let's touch it. What what got you into ping pong? <laughs> so this is another work story. Actually, <laughs> uh, one of my friends I made at work plays ping pong and. I was watching a few other coworkers play and I, I just stopped, looked at the table and went, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna play a game. I'm gonna get my butt handed to me, but I'm gonna learn this and I'm gonna start getting good at it. And this was, I want to say November. And by January, I was already able to keep up with everybody that I faced at the ping pong table though I haven't been able to beat them because I usually choke. Mm. Hashtag speedrunner luck. <laughs> R in Jesus once again. Indeed. <laughs> I, I at least give them a run for their money. Well, it's funny. I was going to end this by just having like you tell us one strange fact about you, but I kind of feel like ping pong is strange enough on its own. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not something you run across very often. No, it's, I mean, it, you see it in movies and people like on TV shows and people talk about ping pong, but you don't hear a lot of people go out of their way and be like, yeah, I play ping pong. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Well, I thank you for joining me on this show. It's been a lot of fun, Sonny Rath. Um, I, I do appreciate you having me on here. It's It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been great. Do you want to let people know like your your Twitch and your various contacts that you want people if you if anyone's interested in checking you out online and seeing you speed run? Yeah, for, for those that want to follow me on Twitch, my URL is twitch.tv forward slash SonnyRath11. And that is spelled S-A-W-N-E-Y-R-A-T-H and then two ones. Yeah. Any other- As for Twitter, if you want to follow me on there, it's at Sonny Rath, S-A-W-N-E-Y-R-A-T-H again. No 11s? No 11s on that one. All right. Well, thank you, and I appreciate you being on here, and it's been great talking to you. Yeah, I'm glad to have been on here. This this was a blast. Thank you so much for letting me come on here again. And thank you. Uh, this has been a special edition of Nuts Alive from Asteroid G. I'm Mike Finkelstein, joined the booth by Sonny Rath 11 and we will see you guys next time. <laughs>